It's in the middle of your Bible's Psalms. These are uh, praises, prayers, uh, songs written. And the intent was that when Israel gathers together corporately, they w- there would be something spoken uh, to them or they could speak to one another. It's a great reminder of who God is and, and what he means to us. So read along with me. Uh, you follow along as I read out loud. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Salah, which means rejoice. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. You can take a seat. My wife and I were watching a video on YouTube, and it's, as, uh, it's, a, it's a leadership uh, talk. It's interesting. It's a very unique leadership talk. The title of it is uh, How to Start a Movement. If you haven't seen it, you can look at it later, uh, not with your iPads now. But it's How to Start a Movement, and it's, uh, it's from TED Talks, and it's, here's, here's the setting. So you see a video, and there's a guy on a field. All right? It looks like a concert, some kind of concert going on. You can't tell the concert you just see this field and the and the people listening to the concert and there's this one guy everyone else is kind of sitting down talking kind of watching the concert there's this one guy out of nowhere gets up and starts dancing he's he's it's goofy he's not fully clothed he's got shorts but that's it and he's just kind of dancing around very clumsily very foolishly not at all with good rhythm or anything he's just flailing around like crazy and everyone starts looking at him, what is this guy doing, right? And he does this for, you know, maybe 15 seconds. And then another guy joins him. And these this two guys are now dancing together. Again, clumsily, awkwardly, not in rhythm. People are just looking, what is going on? And then another guy comes. And then three guys come. And they're all doing the same thing, making fools of themselves, dancing on this hill for this outdoor concert. And everyone else is just watching this thing take place. A bunch of guys just jumping around, flailing, rolling around on the ground. It's weird. But more people come. Next, three people join. And then five people join. And before long, the people who were at one point sitting down watching this take place, they're like, I guess I got to join in. So literally everyone comes up and starts dancing in the crowd. Now, while this is going on, there's a narrator. And the narrator is explaining leadership principles out of this foolish dancing that's going on. So this guy is saying, you know, like, you know, okay, so at first it takes the courage of the one man doing the thing that that might get him ridiculed. And then the key moment is when the, the first follower joins in, and that's an underrated form of leadership, and so on and so forth it goes. This narration... And the point that's being making through this humorous video is that uh, the dynamics at work in this one movement of people dancing, the same dynamics that go on to all kinds of movements throughout the world, some of which are, are very significant. So you've got these small businesses, right? Like Microsoft. 
you know, th- it started small, right? It started with, with one or two individuals who had a vision and they decided to do something boldly. And then more people joined in and more people joined in. And this, this expanding circle grew to the point where we've got this major corporation today. So in the video, there was this ever-expanding circle of folly or foolishness. And, but yet the principle is that this is what happens when you start a movement. There's one courageous individual and it grows and grows and grows. And the circle gets expanding, ever-expanding circle. Well, today what we're looking at is uh, in, in Psalm, 20, uh, Psalm 67, we're looking at a different type of ever-expanding circle. All right? This is an ever-expanding circle that is very significant, and the vision of the psalmist is grand. It is, it is an amazing vision, but it's an ever-expanding circle of praise. We've been looking uh, for the last several weeks at outreach, this, this topic of outreach. And for those of you who may not come to church a lot, you hear this word outreach, and it may have some negative connotations to you. Uh, basically, to put it simple, outreach, reaching out, right? Uh, reaching out to those around us. Now, this isn't something that church does only. The, many people do this, right? There's many organizations that reach out to the community with love, right? Habitat for Humanity, um, food pantries, uh, homeless shelters. What are they doing? They're reaching out into the community because they understand that there's a need and they want to do what they can to address it. So when we talk about outreach today, um, you might be tempted to think, okay, outreach, well, isn't that about the church looking outside its walls and, and just coming up with projects, you know, these pet projects of people that they want to just convert? I would, I would invite you to consider that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, this is not about projects. Really, it's about love. What happens when Habitat for Humanity sees a need and it addresses the need in the way that it can? That's love. That's not, that's not a project. If you have a neighbor who's got a need, something tangible going on in their life, it's not viewing him as a project to reach out and care for him. What is unique about the church is that uh, in addition to meeting physical needs, the church also is called to and uniquely equipped to care for spiritual needs. You see, as a church, we come together because we believe that there is a God He is interested in our lives, and he has intervened in history by sending his son, Jesus. And because we believe that, it changes everything. That's that's our conviction. Because of that, we see needs around us, not just physical needs, although we address those. We see spiritual needs, those who do not know the God that we know. It's not about us, it's about the God who is good, the God who blesses us, the God who gives us peace, contentment, joy in life, the God who who rules. What we are doing as the church is trying to reach out to those in our community who do not know about this God, who do not know Jesus the way we do, and we want to invite them into a relationship. So that's what outreach is. That's the series that we've been studying. And as we get back to this psalm, Psalm 67, what we're looking at is outreach as an ever-expanding circle of worship or an ever-expanding circle of praise. What's happening here in this psalm is the psalmist starts out focusing on God's people. At the time, this was Israel. Now he might say the church. And we start, he starts focusing on how God blesses his people. But then there's a turn. And instead of 
focusing on God's blessing the people. Now it's focusing on how the people reach out to others and attract them. And then finally, we focus on how the people, both God's original people and the people who've been brought in together, they're worshiping God. So there's three points to this sermon. One, blessing. The way God blesses people. Secondly, attraction. How the people of God attract others. And thirdly, praise. How both the original people of God and the people who've been brought in together join in praise. If you're a visual learner, you can kind of visualize a a U, a letter U. All right, it starts off going down, right? If you were to trace a letter U, starts off going down. That's God blessing us. Then you've got this little loop at the bottom, right? That's us attracting others. And then finally, you're going back up. Us, with others, praising God. That's the sermon. All right, let's start off in Psalm 67, verse 1. God blesses his people. Verse 1 says this, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Now remember, this psalm is a big vision of praise. And this is a, it's a vision not just of praise, but worldwide praise. Considering every tongue, every nation, every people. And it's repeated over and over and over again. There is a vision of praise, people lifting up their voices to God. But it doesn't start there. It starts from God to man, not man to God. When we praise God, when we worship Him, it's uplifting our voices up. The direction is Godward. This is a different direction. It starts God blessing His people. Verse 1 of Psalm 67, this is a historical blessing that is given to the people. When they would gather together at the tabernacle or the temple, the priest, the high priest like Aaron, he would raise his hands and pronounce a benediction over them. It was a blessing. At the end of every service, we do a benediction. That is a blessing from God to us, blessing us. And the benediction read, is, this is a paraphrase of that, may God be gracious to us, bless us, make his face shine upon us. Now, in the Bible, a blessing is a powerful concept. Like, we've reduced it to something you say after someone sneezes, right? It's an empty phrase. But in the Bible, it was packed with significance. A blessing is, especially when God pronounces a blessing, it's not just, I wish you well. I wish an abundant life for you. I wish fullness for you. When God blesses someone, he is saying, I will make it so. I am giving you an abundant life. It's a prophecy. It's a prediction. God is saying, you will be blessed. You will be fruitful. Consider some examples. You've got uh, Abraham. God blesses Abraham. And what happens? He becomes the father of the whole nation of Israel, God's chosen people. He blesses Jacob. And Jacob becomes so wealthy that the people he's staying with, Laban, he wants to keep him around because as long as Jacob's with him, he gets blessed too. Huge, huge blessing. Joseph, four different situations in life, very different. And every time he rises to the top position in every situation until he becomes the second in command of the greatest nation on the planet, Egypt. God's blessing. He blesses him, and so it goes. He is fulfilled. What this is telling us 
is that you and I, if we are coming before God as children of God in Christ, we experience this blessing. That's why every time that the Israelites came before the priest, the priest would pronounce the blessing, reminding them that they are blessed in the Lord. At the end of the service, there's a benediction reminding you that despite what you may see around you, you are blessed in the Lord. Now, I've given those examples. I sort of have to deconstruct them now. Because what's good about those examples, Joseph, Abraham, and Jacob, is that they're obvious, right? It's, it's a real distinct blessing, external blessing, right? God blesses and boom, they've got an abundance of possessions, right? The problem with those examples is that's not the norm, actually. The way God normally blesses us, biblically, and you see this throughout the New Testament especially, it's an inner blessing. It's a spiritual blessing that exists despite sometimes really tough circumstances. So, whereas some might say Christianity is a religion that promises you wealth, prosperity, and health, we'd say, no, it's not. If anything, Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to suffer. So how does that coexist with blessing? Well, what we believe in Christianity and what Jesus tells us, and we see this over and over again in the New Testament, is that the blessings that we receive are spiritual inner blessings that somehow can and often do coexist in the midst of suffering. All around you circumstantially is chaos. But yet through the Lord you experience this unnatural, supernatural inner peace as the Lord cares for you. All around you, you see people who, are, who are, seem to be getting, getting ahead in life, right? You're struggling. You're struggling to make ends meet financially. You see this, this abundance of blessing outside, like material blessing with other people, and yet, supernaturally, the Lord grows you in contentment. You don't have all you'd like to have, and yet there's a spiritual contentment. Hope, despite tough circumstances. Joy, despite frustrating times. This is the inner peace that God does promise us. Consider the Apostle Paul. He's a great example, right? So whereas Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, these guys were like blessed uh, externally, Paul, consider his life, right? Pain, persecution, rejection, torture. He was, trying to, he, he was attempted to be killed numerous times as he went from town to town. This was his life. And yet the same Paul in Philippians 4 says, I know the peace of Christ which surpasses all understanding. I know what it is to be content in every circumstance, through abundance and through want. Inner peace, inner spiritual health, that can and often does coexist in the midst of suffering externally. Paul hurt, right? When he got, when when he was, when people threw stones at him, he was physically hurt. When he was rejected, I'm sure he was discouraged. And yet there was an anchor in the midst of all of that. Spiritual inner blessings. Consider Jesus, a man of many sorrows. Throughout his whole life, he was misunderstood, abandoned often by those who were closest to him. At the end of his life, and he's going through life knowing how it's going to end. At the end of his life, he's tortured. He's abandoned by God on the cross. And yet throughout all of his life, he knows joy because he is connected with the Father. 
throughout all of his life, he is focused. This is, this is the peace that Christ had. He was able to focus on the needs of others despite his own overwhelming sorrows. He was able, even on the cross himself, to care for his family by speaking to John. He prayed for those who were persecuting him. He prayed for those who nailed him on the cross. And he was ministering to the criminal right beside him on the cross. That's the inner peace that he had, the inner poise, despite circumstances. These are the blessings that we have. But as we look at this, this psalm, Psalm 67, verse 1, we notice that this isn't a given. This isn't just something that's automatic. This is not the default circumstance in life. This comes as we are in the presence of God. What does the psalmist say? He says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. The idea here is that we experience blessings through Christ as we are connected with him. The image of making his face shine upon us is relational imagery. It's the concept of I'm standing before the Lord and in his presence, these blessings are pouring out to me. Make his face shine upon us. The image of sun beating down, warming you. If you've ever seen a cat who's, who's scoping out the carpet, looking for the ray of sunlight, right? Because as it, as it lays on the this, on this sunbeam in the carpet, it's warmed, it's comforted. Think about the image of a, of a cold winter day, but you're huddled by the fire. And the warmth just washes over you. There's something that's comforting about that. It's, it's, it feels good. It, it is, it's something that, that gives us gives us contentment. It's just a good image. This is the picture that we have. The blessings that come from God are given to us as we are connected with him. As we stand in his presence, we are warmed. As we stand in his presence, we are comforted. We are given peace. We are given joy as we are in his presence. But here's the problem. We were created to be in his presence. To experience all of those things. We are created to be united to Christ forever experiencing the goodness of the Lord. But mankind was created that way. But the first man sinned. And we did too. In him and every one of us followed suit. And as we sinned, that connection, that presence of God was ripped apart. Instead of warmth, Comfort, compassion, what we experience is distance, coldness, aloneness. That's you and me in sin. And so for us to be reunited with God, someone else had to experience all that. Someone else had to be ripped apart from God. Someone else had to experience the coldness, the darkness of sin, the penalty of sin. Someone else had to, be, had to die as they were ripped apart from God. And that's what Christ did. As Christ came, what he did was he enabled us to go back to our created state, to a redeemed state, where we are reunited with the presence of God. Once again, looking at his presence and basking in his warmth and the blessings that flow from that. But it's not a given. It's only possible as we are in Christ. And so it says God must be gracious to us. God must be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. The first word in that blessing is grace. And all other blessings flow from that. Our God is a gracious God. 
So the, the challenge to us, the thing we need to consider today is you and me, are we warmed in the presence of the Lord? Are you and I experiencing that? And that's not to say that this is some simple, you walk into God's presence and all of your problems melt away. No, we are in a world where there is real trouble. There is real suffering, real despair. And yet, in the midst of this, we have a God who is present with us and who promises blessings to be poured upon us, spiritual inner blessings, as we are warmed in his presence. Have you been warmed in the presence of God lately? He is there inviting you to experience that. Well, why is this so important? What's, what's the deal about being warmed by God's presence? Why is it so critical? Well, I think, one, this is, a, this is a difficult world. This is a cold world. Suffering is inevitable. On a long enough timeline, you're going to suffer. And suffer significantly in many cases. We need the comfort of a father who is there for us. We need the comfort of a powerful father who says, not only am I here, but I'm here to provide for you. It's also important because this is what Jesus died to give us. So if your experience of God is always kind of a a distant God who is on your shelf, who you mentally ascend, you know, you mentally believe in, and if that's your experience of God and that's all it is, I would suggest that's not the kind of life that Christ died to give you. Christ died to give you an abundant life, living in God's presence. Now, you and I know if you've lived as a Christian for a while, it's not all sunshine and roses. And there are times when even experiencing God's presence is harder to discern than others. Sometimes we come before the Lord in prayer and reading the Bible, and honestly, we're doing it as an act of faith and as an act of obedience, many times not even experiencing that warmth that I just talked about. Sometimes the change in us The warmth in us is imperceptible. And yet, God is faithful. God promises, come to me and I will pour out my blessings upon you. The last reason why we need to to warm ourselves in the presence of God is because we are called not just to warm ourselves, we are called to warm others as well. Second point, attraction. Notice verse 2. It, it, you know, it could stop here. The Psalm 61, or Psalm 67, verse 1, it could stop there. The, the Aaron, the, the Aaronic blessing does. It just stops there. But the Psalm doesn't. It keeps going. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Salah, rejoice. That, so that, in order that, your way may be known on the earth. Your saving power among all the nations. Now remember Israel here. Israel is one nation. At this time, Israel is one nation among many. They experience the blessings of God. They are the people of God. The rest are not. So the, psalm is, the psalmist is envisioning, he's dreaming of this time when the blessings of God are not just poured out on the nation of Israel, but expanded to the nations as well. This is a grand vision. It starts in creation. God created everyone to experience his blessings, to be warmed by his presence, to be in his presence. The fall of mankind, sin, ripped that apart. God at that point would have been completely fair and just to have condemned everyone, to have cast out everyone into the coldness that exists outside of God's presence. But God was gracious. 
So instead of casting out everyone, he is faithful to a few. Seth, Noah, Abraham. Abraham, uh, Genesis 12, this blessing that God gives to Abraham, it says this. God speaking to Abraham, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you would be a blessing. In you, all the families of this earth shall be blessed. God blesses us so that we would attract others into this life of spiritual blessing. This is attraction, right? This is the, if the first part of the you is God blessing, there's this downward movement. Then we move to the side to consider others. To consider others around us. Israel, this, this is how it worked with Israel. God blessed them as a nation, and sure enough, the other nations would look to Israel. And at the, at the time of their peak of the kingdom, they were amazed at the fame of Israel, of the glory, the beauty, who they were, their power, their military might. And nations, especially in Solomon's reign, which is the pinnacle of the nation of Israel, people came from all over to bask in the glory of Israel, to be amazed at, at their glory. But then what they would do, they would give praise to God because they recognized that nothing was special about Israel itself. They were special because of the God they served. They were attractive. They would attract others in. You and I are invited to a life not just of experiencing God's blessing, but to bring others into this circle of life, the circle of blessing, this circle of worship. Remember the opening illustration, right? This, this foolish guy who started this movement, started dancing, and others kind of caught on, and it grew and grew and grew until the whole hillside was dancing. You and I, I, I don't know why that happened. There must have been something attractive about what that guy was doing. I don't conceive of it. Maybe they liked his freedom and that he was casting aside social norms and he was just doing something outrageous. I don't know. There was something attractive about this guy and what he was doing. And the circle grew. The circle expanded. The circle of folly expanded. You and I are invited to expand the circle of praise. Much more significant. Much more powerful. God blesses us so that others would see God. We see this verse 6 and 7 of Psalm 67. It says this, God our God shall bless us. God shall bless us, and then let all the ends of the earth fear him. We are attracting others. Well, how do we do this? Well, first I would suggest we ourselves need to be warmed by the light of God's presence. We need to experience these blessings ourselves. We need to taste Christ. We need to experience him. We need to go to the source of blessing so that we have something to share with others. Are you being warmed in the light of God's presence? You may be thinking, wow, outreach. This is, you know, I come today, I'm, I'm very overwhelmed, busy, frustrated, discouraged, depressed. You're asking me to reach out to others. This is another burden. I would say, no, no, no. Start at the very place of your need. If you're lonely, you need the companionship of the Lord. Go to his presence. If you are discouraged, you need hope in the gospel. 
Go to the Lord praying for hope. Ask the Lord to pour out these blessings, these spiritual blessings, so that as you go out, you can bring others into this expanding circle of praise. The other thing we notice in terms of the how, we're asking the how question, how do we do this? How do we attract others? One, you experience the blessings yourself. Two, you go together. You go together. Israel had this profound corporate identity, not corporate business corporate, corporate like community corporate. They understood that their life was lived together. We live in a very individualistic society where every man for himself, you do your thing, I'll do mine, and we extend that oftentimes to spiritual life as well, right? I've got my relationship with Jesus, you've got yours, don't ask me about mine, I won't ask you about yours. That's not the picture of the gospel. Israel didn't understand life that way. We don't understand life that way. Jesus did not understand life that way. So we are called to live life, not just in terms of outreach, but in every way. We are called to live life together. And that includes outreach as well. All right, let me give you an example. Um, what does this look like? You know, how are we to, to reach out to others? Penguins. All right, now stay with me here. Penguins. Uh, I'm a, 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 several years ago I watched March of the Penguins, and therefore I am a penguin expert. And I'll tell you about penguins. Penguins uh, live in a very cold climate. Surprise, number one. They live in a cold climate, and um, <clears throat> one of the things they do to stay warm, well, they huddle together, right? So, especially in the warmest times of year, they would huddle together. Why? To, to warm each other, to be warmed together. Strange, but I think there's something to, to be pulled from this. Penguins, right? I think, I, I think you and I are called to live life together. And as we live life together, yes, this is a cold world, this is a frustrating world, it's a discouraging world, but you and I are called to be warmed in the presence of God, and as we come together, what happens when you get together, the heat, it, it grows, right? You may be discouraged today, maybe you need a friend, maybe you need a group to encourage you. They are being warmed by the light of God's presence and they can bring you into that. At its best, that's what a small group is. At its best, that's what a men's group, a women's group is. We are warmed by the light of God's presence and we bring others into that. So, brother or sister in the church, struggling, come be a part of this group and let's warm each other in the light of God's presence. But it doesn't just stop with the church, right? There are those around us where if we believe this is true, and many of you are here today because you do believe that this is true, that what the Bible tells us about who God is and what he's done in history, if we believe it's true, this is life-changing. It changes your perspective. You don't see life as a series of frustrations or a series of joys. You see something much bigger that God has been doing throughout all of creation throughout all of history, and one day will bring to culmination as we enter into the new heavens and the new earth. That is a story of hope. That is a story of joy. The world around us needs that. So God calls us to bring others into our circle. I would encourage you, my wife and I have done this every once in a while, we'll have people over for dinner some of those are within the church, but some of those are, are outside of the church. Some people who, who we know don't believe as we do. We know aren't Christians. 
The goal is, and I would invite you to, to pray through how you, maybe your small group could do this, maybe your family could do this, maybe your men's group or women's group could do this. Invite others into those settings so they see the way that you love one another. So they see the way that you pass the warmth around. So that you see the way that you, you live counterculturally so that you're truly sharing life together. Because that's different. Part of Israel's appeal to the rest of the nations is that they were different. There was something unique about them. You and I are called to live a different life. As we are warmed in the presence of God, we have a difference about us. And as we invite others in to our circles, especially as we are living life together, as they come in, they see the way we care for one another. They see the way we care for them. They see the way we pay attention to, other, to each other's needs, practically, physically, and we care for those. That is a powerful testimony. That's a testimony that demands. It's, it's a way of living that demands an explanation. And that's where the gospel comes in. God blesses us. We attract others. But the end goal is praise. Praise. Verse 4 through 6. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. This is all about praise. What is praise? Praise is lifting God up so that he is, so that he is seen among us, right? We know that God is seen everywhere. He's seen in creation. But as, as his followers, as his worshipers, you and I are called to lift him up so that others can see him. Lift up his attributes. Lift up his goodness, his power, his mercy, his compassion. One of the images of praise that sticks with me is uh, anytime you see an athletic competition, the Olympics or something like that, uh, the medal ceremony, the award ceremony, right? What do the athletes do? The best athlete in every category, they ascend to the top of this podium. You got the, third, the first place, second place, third place. But at the top of the podium, lifted up for all to see because of these amazing accomplishments, is the winner. The first place contended the first place winner and he is lifted up and and in essence he is praised for what he has done because you and i our job is to lift up the praise of god to lift him up to so that so that he is seen so that he is appreciated consider this in our conversations with others even with 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 christians or with non-christians how often are we lifting up god's name you know, it's easy to talk circumstances, right? What's going on in your life? Well, I just bought a car, just whatever. That's easy. It's harder to talk about your heart, right? What's really going on? How, how are you feeling? What's, what, what's, what are you, what's difficult? It's far harder still to bring discussion about the Lord and who he is so that it bears upon the, the circumstance that you're dealing with. When I meet with people and I'm hearing oftentimes struggles, difficult things going on in life, one thing I ask myself often is, what does Jesus have to do with this situation? Because I believe that the gospel has something to do with this, but it's not always apparent. You and I need to ask ourselves that. As we meet with others, we need to ask ourselves, what does the gospel, what does Christ have to do with what we're talking about here? There's a marriage struggle, a family struggle, a financial struggle. What does our belief in Christ have to say about this situation? 
and then introduce that into the conversation. It's a new way of looking at things that lifts God up. It lifts him up. It elevates him so that we appreciate him more. Praise. The ever-expanding circle of praise. What type of praise is a joyful praise? That let the nations be glad and sing for joy. This is not a rote, monotonous worship service where people are stone-faced, speaking words that clearly are disconnected from their heart. This is a robust praise that stems. It's a, it's a sense of overflowing. The blessings of God, the love for God in the individual is overflowing with praise, heartfelt praise. And how could we not be joyful? The psalmist says, he's the judge of the nations with equity. He guides the nations upon the earth. The earth has yielded its increase. God is our ruler. He is our fair, just, sovereign king. But yet he guides us with compassion, says the psalmist. Not only that, but he provides abundance upon the earth. He is our provider. He is our ruler. He is our guide. He is our counselor. Let me leave you with this uh, kind of image. Um, birthday parties, children's birthday parties. I just went to one yesterday, getting ready to go to one, uh, or getting ready to, to, to have a, a little family party for one of our sons tomorrow. And uh, in this party, when, when you, you, know, you throw the party and you invite people in, and um, you want people to come, right? How sad would it be you throw a party for a child and no one shows up? Right? That's sad. It's sad for the child. It's sad for the parents. Why? Because you want people to join in this celebration. You, know? you're, you love your son. You love your daughter. You love your friend. You, as, you're, as you're throwing this party, the desire is that others join in because the love is so great. You want this person to be appreciated. You want this person to be focused upon. Right? Now, the analogy hits a wall at some point. Because I could say, my son is awesome, I think so. I would say that, you know, you should hang out with my son. I think you should. But at the end of the day, at a certain point, it becomes irrelevant, right? It, you don't know my son like I do. You don't know all of his, you know, all of the things that make him so wonderful like I do. If I go across the world and say, hey, you need to come to my son's birthday party, that's inappropriate. It's inapplicable, right? With God, though. Consider this. God is a sovereign king, universal king, extending his rule over the entire world. Our goal is a celebration of this God who is relevant, who is applicable, who guides, rules, comforts the entire world. Our job is to lift him up so that others can join in this celebration of praise. That's how great he is. That's how awesome he is. He is worthy of this type of worldwide praise. God blesses his people, pours out blessings. Have you been warmed by those blessings? If not, go back to the source. Tirelessly go back to the source, waiting upon the Lord to pour out these blessings upon you. This is a tough life. Sometimes those blessings are hard to discern. But in faith, go back to the source so that you can experience, however imperceptibly, however small, you can experience the warmth of God's face. Then bring others into that warmth. Bring others into this circle of experiencing the love, the power, the grace, the joy of God.
And then together, with those who have recently been brought in, we lift up our hearts to praise the God of the universe who deserves every bit of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for um, all the ways that you have poured out yourself upon us. Lord, I thank you for um, these blessings. I thank you for not only the fact that you bless us, but that you invite us to draw others in so that we can together praise your name. Father, you are worthy of praise. You are our rock. You are our deliverer, our rescuer, the horn of our salvation, the the, the mighty warrior. Lord, I pray that you would become more meaningful to us so that we can taste and see that you are good and then invite others to taste for themselves. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand with us as we close. And something Pastor Dave said that I can't get lodged out of my head is that Christ, a man of many sorrows in his grace,